Welcome to What the Fab, a fan's first sports network fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and as always, I'm here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball with some of the greatest minds in the industry in a way that strives to demystify this wonderful game a bit while bridging the gap between your home league and the NFBC main event. Search for the show by looking for Fans First Sports Network Fantasy. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star review and a rating because it helps other people find the show. Today, we are checking in on the state of fantasy baseball at the midpoint of the season, plus looking at some prospects you should be keeping an eye on with Eric Cross, who you know from his great work at FTN Fantasy and Roto Baller. He's the host of the Toolshed podcast and the 2021 FSWA Baseball Writer of the Year. Thank you so much for joining me, uh, Eric. Welcome to What the Fab. Yeah, Sarah, thanks for having me. Been looking forward to this ever since you messaged me and ready to talk some baseball. Awesome. Well, we can jump right into it. Uh, I was just noting before we started recording that the news around the league injury update section that I generally try to keep to 15 minutes looks like it's going to be like 30. So we should probably <laughs> just get started. There's some big news in and around the league. So let's just jump right in. The Diamondbacks, who have been a surprising team this season, they've done way better than anyone probably projected them for, except maybe themselves, uh, have lost Merrill Kelly for at least 15 days to a calf strain. There's probably a bit with all of these injuries of like, hey, the all-star break is coming. We'll just put the guy on the IL, let them rest through the all-star break and not worry about it. So I'm not terribly worried about Merrill Kelly for the rest of the season, but I do wonder about that Diamondbacks pitching depth, specifically because we've seen Brandon Fott go up and down this season. What are you thinking about Fott? What are you thinking about the D-backs pitching? Yeah, so basically, you know, Merrill Kelly's been kind of quietly just a very good under-the-radar fantasy arm. Like, he's not a guy that ever gets a lot of publicity just because he's not, like, the one of the flashier guys around. But I think it was, like, he's top 10 in the ERA over the last two years combined or something like that, just just steady Eddie. And, you know, it's really been him and Gallon holding that down and just kind of mixing and matching the rest of that rotation. Some young guys and Zach Davies, who's still in that rotation for some reason. But... Yeah, Fott, he's just not looked good. Like, you know, there's been you know, a lot of rookie arms that have looked good. I'm sure we'll talk about some of them later this episode. But Fott has been one of the guys that just hasn't. And, like, the stuff is good. I don't think anyone's kind of doubting that the stuff is there. But it's his overall command. Like, he's not locating the fastball well at all. And that's getting hit very hard. He doesn't have the velocity to kind of blow people away. He's more like, you know, 92, 93 range. So he needs to locate it well. He is not. And just giving up too many walks, too many home runs, and it's really bit him. So, uh, yeah, Fat was a guy I was I was kind of in on earlier in the year, and uh, I think I got a couple shares of him when he came up back in what was it the first time back back in I think mid May I believe it was, and just kind of kind of regretting it, regretting it, spending some of the, my Fat bucks on him a little bit. So he's not really a guy I'm, I'm looking to target. I know he's already been up and down, and you know even even if he does come back up soon. I'm kind of out on him, at least for this year. I, I want to see him kind of correct these issues before I kind of buy back in. The rest of the rotation is, <laughs> I mean, Ryan Nelson had a good start, you know, a few days back, but this rotation with Kelly in the IL and Gallon, you know, obviously Gallon's a stud, but the rest of these guys I'm not really interested in very much. Yeah, you mentioned that Kelly has been under the radar. I mean, if Gallon wasn't on that D-back staff, I think that we would say that Kelly is an ace. I mean, he's yeah. been so, so good this season. But I am with you on thought. I did not get any shares, mainly because I have learned this season the hard way that I have to bump my fad like bids up 20% if I want to yep. get anybody <laughs> uh, in the early part of a season. And, you know, props to the people I play against who are making 
that happened. But so I didn't get fought the first time. I didn't get discount fought the second time. And I'm probably out until I see something a little bit more compelling. Uh, let's head to Atlanta where they have had some starting pitching problems, but it hasn't really impacted them at all. The Braves are the class of the National League and they might just run away with the whole thing. Michael Soroka is going to get one more start at least before uh, Max Freed and Kyle Wright are back. And it looks like um, they have some options there if they choose to. If they don't like what they see from Soroka, they could call back up AJ Smith-Shaver. They could call back up Jared Schuster. It feels like the Braves can do no wrong. What do you see in Atlanta? Yeah, that, that's the the product of just a very good player development organization on both sides, really. Obviously, we, we've seen all the, all the great hitters that come up, but they've developed, you know, all these guys are, they they develop. Like, their entire rotation right, right now is guys that, you know, they developed and uh, even developed Charlie Morton way back in the day. Obviously, he's been on a few different teams since then, but back in Atlanta now. But, you know, obviously, Strider's a beast. Bryce Elder has been very good this year, kind of overperforming, but uh, been very good nonetheless. Soroka... He's a guy that I all even back when he was like really good uh, before all the uh, the Achilles injuries. He was a guy that I always kind of threw into that dreaded you know better in real life than fantasy bucket that nobody wants to hear about their players because obviously he, he was a great pitcher, but even back then he was not getting the strikeouts. Like he was never a big swing and miss guy. Always you know was pitch the contact, get the ground ball out. It's kind of like a Kyle Hendricks sort of guy, and that's kind of why you know yeah maybe he can give me some solid ratios, but. Uh, even now, like the K rate still isn't there. I'm, I'm not trying to you know, harp too much on him. It's been a small sample size, but he's, from what I've seen in the, in the past as well, he's not really a guy that uh, you know I'm, I've ever been in on because the cost has always been too high for my liking. Given you know the strikeout rate being so low, he's never been a guy that I've really been in on. But they do have so many other options. Like they called up Colby Alward recently, who's been on their system uh, for the last couple of years after he came over from Texas. And obviously, you mentioned Jared Schuster. You know they have Dylan Dodd as well. So there's there's a lot of guys that can mix and match. You know, spots start here and there until they they get back Freed and and Kyle Wright. None of these guys I'm really intrigued by though. They've all had you know their ups and downs, more downs than ups in the major league level. So I'm kind of avoiding the situation. I do have some shares of both Freed and Wright, so I'm very much looking forward to to them coming back this uh, you know over the next month or two and help me down the stretch but these rest of these guys I'm kind of out on for the most part this year. You said a couple of things I want to dive into there. Soroka is totally in the mold of Kyle Hendricks and one of the things that I have learned as a Cubs fan watching Kyle Hendricks all the time as long as the location is good when the Cubs have a great defense behind them Kyle Hendricks always plays up. He will outperform his FIP by one to 1.5 runs, you can count on it like clockwork. We're seeing it again right now. He fixed whatever was going on with his shoulder, and he seems to be vintage Kyle Hendricks again. Um, I think that is true for the Braves as well. Like, their pitchers can overperform. Like, you mentioned Bryce Elder overperforming. You mentioned, like, I think that Soroka is a guy that I'd be in on just because their defense is so good. Um, I'm also, like, a little intrigued by Allard. There's some first-round pedigree there, and I and I wonder what he could do if given an opportunity, but I agree with you. The other guys are sort of, like, hodgepodge, and I'm out unless it's a really great matchup. A team that does not have the depth of starting pitching that the Braves have is the Red Sox, and now Garrett <laughs> Whitlock is hitting the IL with another shoulder, or shoulder, another elbow issue. I don't... Is there even a guy to take these starts? The Red Sox have three starters listed on roster resource, and one of them is James Paxton, who is on paternity leave. I'm having a heart attack. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been uh, very interesting as a Red Sox fan, well, all year, but especially lately, because obviously the uh, broken uh, facial bone 
uh, for Tanner Houck uh, a few weeks back. He's been he's gonna be out for a bit now. Obviously, Corey Fluber's on the IL. Chris Sale back on the IL. We have more like more guys in the IL than we have in that rotation right now. And you know, there has been some sneaky value from obviously Brayon Bayo has been very good the last like 11, 12 starts or so. I think he has like a two point three ERA over his last eleven starts. Cutter Crawford, I think, is sneaky good too. Like he's been he performed pretty well. Metrics are kind of backing that up when he's uh you know been in the rotation. So he should get an extended look here. But I'm just kind of looking to see who we <laughs> who we bring up to fill these spots. I mean, there's they have a, a hodgepodge of another time using the word hodgepodge of of arms here in AAA, like Brian Mata, a longtime prospect that we actually signed seven years ago out of Venezuela. Uh, Shane Drowen, one of the top pitching prospects, could come up, maybe get a start here and there. Uh, so, something that I didn't even realize, we signed Diddleson Lamette out of nowhere. He's in AAA right now, and didn't even realize we got him. Uh, that kind of went on the radar. But they've already brought up guys like Walter and uh, Murphy, and those guys is, Those guys haven't even been good in, in AAA this year. They are both they're both good last year in, in AA and AAA, but this year, not so much. So I'm not really sure where the Red Sox go, but their bullpen on roster resource has like 15 guys in it from the looks of it. Uh, so I think there's probably going to do a lot of like two inning here, two innings there, kind of Patrick's together, those two other spots. And so, you know, maybe they get, I'm not even sure who's the first one back out of the DL guy, the IL guy, excuse me, probably Kluber or Hauk, but I don't think anyone's really even that close to be honest with you. So yeah, it's, it's rough. There, I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, Cutter Crawford's probably already rostered in most leagues. If he's not, I'd take a flyer on him. But yeah, outside of that, none of the other guys, because I've seen a lot of these guys firsthand coming through Double A, none of them really intrigue me. Yeah, none of them really intrigue me either. And one of the things I was thinking about with the Red Sox is something I've been thinking about with the Phillies a lot this year too, which is if you find a middle reliever there that you can target who's getting some Ks, that guy is probably going to wind up with a handful of wins and saves because all of their outings are going to wind up being three to four plus innings. And so if you don't love the starting pitching options out there and look, if you're getting a starting pitcher who's going to go two innings and get lit up, that's not good for you. Go to the middle relievers and see what you can do. Uh, one of those guys is Josh Winkowski, who made some name news for himself when the Red Sox played the Cubs last year, calling Wrigley Field a substandard <laughs> baseball park, which, come on, dude, like Cubs and Red Sox, like the Red Sox are my AL team, so I feel like I have some unique like stuff to say here. Those two parks are special. We all know why they're both both special, and Cubs and Red Sox fans get that. So I think he was trying to get some cred back home, and all he wound up doing was making himself look kind of foolish. But maybe he'll get a chance to start at Wrigley again, and he can give us a second opinion on the place after the All-Star break. Speaking of the Cubs, uh, Cody Hoyer, who I have been vocally supportive of and looking forward to joining and helping out this battered Cubs bullpen all season, fractured his elbow on a pitch. He is out for the seasons. There's no Cody Hoyer coming out. A couple people asked me, what his ETA was on Twitter recently. So I just wanted to flag that for anyone who has been looking for that. And now Nick Madrigal is out. He has a hamstring issue. It sounds like it's pretty minor. So he'll probably be back after the all-star break, but that means that third base question might get settled. They activated Patrick wisdom. Christopher Morell is on fire and third base is his natural position. Any interest in Patrick wisdom, or do you think that playing time goes to Morell? I think it mostly goes to Morell. I do think wisdom gets in there uh, against a, a tough lefty. Maybe he can come in, you know, he can play, you know, obviously a little bit of first and uh, he's played a little bit of outfield as well. So he, he can play a couple different spots, but I think he's going to be only in, in a platoon. Obviously the, the powers there, we've seen that the quality of context always been very good, but he's one of those kind of all or nothing guys where it's, 
you know, even just really home run or strikeout, not even, you know, a super high walk rate guy. So, I mean, if you need a power in a super deep league, maybe I would look at him. But I think with how Morrell has been playing, especially lately, or really since he came up for the most part, outside of a, a little culturish in the middle, I think they're just gonna let him run with it. I mean, why not? Yeah, that's what I. That's how I feel as well. Morrell's had some defensive issues, but he's not going to get better on defense if he never plays the exactly. position. And like, frankly, he's been so good. I actually wrote about him for Bleed Cubby Blue today. He dropped his strikeout rate to twenty percent in June. I am yeah. fascinated by this because the only flaw in Christopher Morrell's offensive game is that thirty percent plus strikeout rate. And if he's fixed that, oh my god! Like the ISO is so so high and. The power is so real. I, I just, it makes me really happy. Um, The other call up for the Cubs, Daniel Palencia came up, made his debut yesterday in a wild one against the Brewers through two extra innings uh, of scoreless baseball, which is hard to do with the Manfred man and was throwing pellets. He throws a hundred miles per hour. He did not look phased by the extra inning situation at all. Picked up his first win. I'm intrigued by Daniel Palencia. Any interest there? Yeah, I think so, especially in, if you're playing in the saves hold league, because, you know, this, you know, while there's been some decent arms in this pen, you know, Albert, Albert Alzale, Mark Leiter Jr., kind of Merriweather, like none of those guys have really kind of like, all right, this is the guy, or these are the two guys. So I think there's definitely a lot of opportunity for, you know, Daniel Palencia to kind of step in. Maybe he's not a guy that gets a ton of saves, but again, if you play in a saves hold league, I think he's definitely one that could have a per- good amount of interest on the stretch. Absolutely. And the Cubs need guys in the back end of the bullpen who are not going to get blown up. Uh, the White Sox heading to the other side of town. Oscar Colas is back. Any interest in trying to see what he can do a second time through the league? Yeah, I, I actually am. Now, he was a guy that you know obviously didn't look good the first time through. And even when he got sent back down to uh, AAA, I mean, for the first few weeks after he got sent back down, he was kind of ice cold as well, especially in the power department. But, you know, over the last month or so, he really turned it around. He was hitting for power. He was hitting for average. Uh, when he came back up, I think he had seven home runs in June. Uh, yeah, he had 292, 351, 573 in June, seven home runs and a K rate right around 20%. I mean, he's always good. Even when he's good, like, he's always been one of those like hyper-aggressive guys. But it puts the ball in play. It doesn't have a you know, never had a huge strikeout rate, so that's good to see. And yeah, I think he's a guy that will give you, you know, over a full season. This guy, you know, could be a twenty-five homer batter, so that gives you hit you at two sixty-two seventy. So uh, with how he looked in AAA, and yeah, I think there's a decent chance he's going to have regular playing time here uh, for the uh, foreseeable future. I'm definitely intrigued. Yeah, I'm also intrigued. Um, Let's head to the Detroit Tigers for a second. They're getting two really good arms back. Eduardo Rodriguez and Tarek Skubal both coming back this week. If they're available in your leagues, they may not be. In most 15-teamers that I'm in, they were picked up preemptively. But if they are available, pitching is so hard to come by on the waiver wire. I am very interested in Erod and Skubal. As am I. And Skubal's velocity was up during his his rehab and even his first start back. So that's obviously very intriguing. Guy that was, you know, probably like a top 30, top 40 or so pitcher last year. And yeah, he definitely, he's got the strikeout stuff he always has. So he's kind of like the one Detroit arm out of like all their big pitching prospects that's kind of gone right over the last handful of years. And Erod, you know, you know, being a Red Sox fan, watching Erod for several years, you you always knew like that potential for that next step was there. He never could fully grasp it. And the earlier this year, he was like one of the hottest pitchers in baseball before he went on the IL. I mean, 2.13 ERA and 11 starts right now and a 25% K rate, which is the highest 
um, much higher than he was last year when his K rate dipped below 19%. But, you know, I, I don't think he's a 2.13 ERA guy, but the XERA is 3.10. So there's like, you know, it's signaling that there's not a ton of flukiness in this performance. You know, he's limiting hard contact well. You know, walk rate's the best of his career right now. So a lot of good things going for Erod. As long as he can stay healthy, which obviously has been an issue for him over the years, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued. If, if he was still out there in any league, I'd be scooping him up immediately. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. I think we forgot about Erod and how good he can be because he had yeah. that COVID issue, and then he basically lost a whole season, and then he had some issues last year, and we just kind of kind of fell off the radar. But that is a dude who can absolutely – do some damage for your fantasy team when he is right. And he appears to be right right now. Uh, heading up down to Houston, Jeremy Pena came back from the IL just in time for Jose Altuve to miss time. And honestly, at this point, I actually think Mauricio Dubon might be this year's Jeff McNeil. He is going to hit early in the order for the Astros. And he plays pretty much every day. Every time I think Dubon is about to lose playing time, somebody gets injured and he fills in for them. Any interest in Dubon? I know he's not really a home run speed guy, but he's hitting about 300 and he's leading off for the Astros. Yeah. I mean, I do in like a 15 teamer, maybe not like a 10 or 12, but like in a 15. Absolutely. He's in 292 this year, four home runs and five steals. Yeah. He's not ever going to give you a, a ton in either of those categories, like you mentioned, but he, you know, he's averaging about, eh, what's that about 10 home runs or so per 162. So he at least gives you a, a little bit of pop, a little bit of speed. So he's not a zero both of those and you know he's shown that he can hit for average and play over all over the field play some seconds some short some outfield which definitely helps both houston and your fantasy teams depending on what his eligibility is in your league and a lot of the you know the the k rate is super low right now the chase rate is is low i mean excuse me the whiff rate's low uh, puts the ball in play so yeah i think there's a lot of intrigue there he won't give you a much obp he's, he's never been a big walk rate guy but yeah deep leagues like these guys you need them like yeah he's not flashy and yeah, it might not be, you know, super fun to roster, but these are the guys you need, especially right now when we're dealing with so many injuries, as we see all these ones we're talking about on this show, that you need some of these guys to plug in for a week, two weeks at times. So yeah, I definitely have some intrigue in, in Dubon. Yeah, we're like halfway through the injuries and like 20 minutes into the show. So <laughs> this is going to be one of those days. Uh, let's do a couple more before we head to a commercial break. Over for the Los Angeles Angels, they are a hot mess this week. They lost Mike Trout. They lost Brandon Drury. Shohei Otani had a blister and I almost had a heart attack. Uh, Joe Adele has been called up. Any interest in Joe Adele? It feels like he's a post, post, post height sleeper at this point in time. But man, he's going to get some run here with Trout out. I think you need to add like three or four more posts to that. (laughs) Man, Joe Adele, I think think if people say they weren't in on Joe Adele at one point or another, they're lying. Because everyone's been in on Joe Adele, even if it's just for a week at some point over the last handful of years. But he's really... Like obviously, very similar profiles to Christopher Morell and Morell. We've seen make those adjustments. We have not seen Adele make those adjustments yet. So, I, I'm really out until I see a prolonged, you know, sample of him cutting the K rate, making more contact. We know we know he can hit the ball country mile. I've seen that. I saw him take batting practice out in the AFL a couple of years ago. So we know the power is there. And obviously, he's, he's a great athlete, but needs to make more contact. And so I, I'm going to miss out. I mean, if it's going to happen. I'm going to miss out on it because I'm waiting to see it happen before I invest. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm out until I see it. Totally reasonable. Uh, I am out on Adele as well, but I admit that I was in on Adele for at least two of those post post. Um, same here. At least two for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
On the other side of town in Los Angeles, Kershaw is out. That probably means that he's just getting some rest and not going to start the All-Star game, which should leave a door open for Justin Steele or Marcus Stroman. We're somebody looking for a Cub to start the All-Star game. Not that anybody who listens to this podcast can make that decision. Looks like there's a spot start here for Michael Grove. I am. I used to look at Dodgers pitchers being called up and I'd be like, I'm in. The Dodgers are good. Their pitching is good. I'm in on all of them. And honestly, this year has sort of tempered me on that a little bit. I don't know if it's the worst defense behind them. I don't know if it's that they've finally gotten through most of their top prospects, but Michael Grove, Gavin Stone, Emmett Sheehan, it, it has not been working the same way it used to in LA. Yeah, definitely. Like Sheehan was looking really good the last couple of starts, not so much. I was watching his start against, uh, I think it was the Rockies uh, last time out or two times out ago. I can't remember. Yeah, he, just, he wasn't locating too well. It wasn't a terrible start, but yeah, Bobby Miller has looked good and looked terrible at times. Michael Grove, ERA over seven, whip 1.6. Not really looking forward to you know having him in any league. But they seem to have this endless supply of, of these arms where they, they still have more arms in the minor leagues. Like They have a couple more that are pretty uh, uh, pretty good pitching prospects as well. And Nick Frasso especially, so he'll be up next year. But yeah, for Grove, not really looking to him. I, I do have some faith that you know Sheehan and Bobby Miller, even though they've been super inconsistent, can be productive fantasy arms down the stretch. So maybe if either one of them were cut in, in your league, I would maybe, you know, be willing to scoop them up because the upside is there. The stuff is there. We've seen it at times during their major league stint, but as for Grove, yeah, I think it's just a, looks like he's going on Saturday against the angels, but probably I'm with you. I think that's just the one start. The price looking to give Kershaw some rest, which, you know, makes sense given his age and, and, uh, you know, history. And obviously they want to keep him fresh down the stretch and in the postseason. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't even like that matchup for Grove as a spot start. So he had no interest there. Yeah, I don't like it as a spot start either. Uh, the Marlins are a surprising team this season. They are giving, well, they're the second best team in the NL East and nobody else seems to want to challenge the Braves, although the Phillies might have something to say about that eventually. Jess Chisholm was off the IL for about a week and a half, and now he is back on the IL with an oblique issue, which is just devastating. I want to see Jazz healthy, and it feels like he's never healthy. Um, that has meant they've called back up Garrett Hampson, who I am sort of meh on. I think I was in on Hampson at one point in time, and, and I am very out right now. But it looks like Dane Myers is getting a look in center field. Any interest in some of these real deep prospects that the Marlins are playing around with? No, not not really, and, and not even Garrett Hampson. Like everyone that's listening that knows me knows that at one point in time, I was probably the biggest Garrett Hampson guy around, and obviously that, that did not go very well. A handful of years ago, he did not plan out as expected, but I'm with you, though, Sarah. Like, you know, you got like Jazz and O'Neal Cruz, like all these exciting young players that, especially Jazz, like Jazz is so fun. Like he's so hard not to root for. He has that you know, bubbling, jubilant personality, got the blue hair. Like, obviously, he's super talented. He's one of those guys that you just love watch play, even if it's on Miami. But, and who, who would have thought that? If I if I told you before the season that Miami would be 10 games ahead of the Mets right now as we get into the month of July, you probably would have told me I'm crazy. So, uh, yeah, but Dane Myers, Garrett Hampson, you know, even in super deep leagues, I don't really see a lot of intrigue there. You know, I was at the start of the season. I cannot remember what the name of this account is. It's some Twitter account that goes by like MLB front office burner or something like that. Like just trash talking moves and like trade deadline stuff or whatever. And this person had a thread that was like 10 posts long about how Kim Ang didn't know what she was doing and the Marlins hadn't made enough moves. And why are they adding another second baseman and Luisa Rice for Pablo Lopez? What are they thinking? And I just have to say, 
it kind of appears like the random collection of like seven second basemen and two guys who can hit dingers <laughs> in Mar Miami is totally working. It, it kind of has like that major league feel from, you know, the, the movies is like, it's like this collection of guys that are been cast offs or, you know, you know, overthought, but yeah, it's working. I don't, I don't know how, because you look at the lineup and it still doesn't look great, but somehow it's working. And obviously their pitching staff, even with Sandy being kind of, not Sandy this year. You know, Braxton Garrett's been great. Luzardo has been great for the most part. Obviously, Yuri has been phenomenal. Even Brian Hoeing has been has been low key good. So yeah, they're they're somehow working it, and you know, could be uh, in the postseason hunt here. It looks like they're gonna. They're fifteen thirty seven. Like that's crazy. Brian Hoeing has been so good that they're just letting Johnny Cueto work stuff out in AAA. He's already basically healthy. He's thrown, I don't know how many rehab starts. And they're like, yeah, we don't think you're as good as the guys that we currently have pitching right now. That's yep. where the Marlins are right now. That's a nice place to be. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. On the flip side, we're going to work through the other half of these teams and their injuries. And we're also going to talk to Eric about the work that he does on prospects over at FTN Fantasy how his process works, what he's looking for, and news you can use to help your fantasy team when you're late. But first, a quick break. All right, we are back. Uh, Roddy Telez hit the injured list for the Brewers, and it looks like at designated hitter, they are going to do a platoon with Jesse Winker and Jemai Jones, who Jemai Jones like actually destroyed me the other day with that random pinch hit he had against the Cubs to cap the Brewers' comeback, which we don't have to talk about that. Hopefully, I never have to worry about that again. But any interest in Winker on the strong side of that platoon? I mean, I want to say yes, but it's been so long since Winker's been good. And he's only made two starts over the last six or seven days. So I'm not even sure if he's going to start enough to be, you know, relevant in the mixed league. I mean, if he does, and yeah, I think in deeper leagues, like you know, even when he's been you know, battling through injuries and just inconsistencies in general, he, the power's always been there with Winker, but it would have to be a 15 teamer because that even that power has this year has not been there in, in 169 player appearances. He has a whopping one home run hard hit rate is the lowest it's been in several years. Same with the barrel rate and the exit velo. He only has a 4% barrel rate. I think he's still getting back to, to being hundred percent. Who knows if he even is, but I mean, without the power, I mean, that's his calling card. That's like what drives the, vast majority of his value and, and without it or even a limited version of that I'm, I'm not really that intrigued anymore yeah I think I'm out as well uh Royce Lewis for the twins cannot catch a break he is back on the IL but that means that Jose Miranda is back and playing and I'm a little bit intrigued by Jose Miranda what about you I am too. And yeah, Royce Lewis, another one, like a very exciting young player, two torn ACLs. Like that dude can be one of the better players in the game if he can ever stay healthy, but we shall see. But yeah, Miranda obviously maybe left a, a bit of a sour taste in managers' mouths from earlier in the year with how he really underperformed expectations. And even when he went back down AAA at first, he, he wasn't that good, but really turned it around in the month of June, again, hitting for average and power, kind of performing as we thought he hoped. So yeah, I, I definitely have some intrigue there. He might even have dual eligibility, first and third, depending on your league settings and your thresholds for, for games played eligibility. But this is a guy I still have faith in. Like he's was a very good bat throughout his minor league career. Always hit for a high average with solid power. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely willing to give him a second shot for sure. Let's talk about the New York Mets for a second. Jose Quintana <laughs> is probably coming back after the all-star break. He's been making rehab starts. And I think that Q with the exception of his time with the Cubs, where he was not very good, has always just been kind of a sneaky innings guy in fantasy. You're not going to get a million strikeouts, but he's going to do better 
then the ratio line that you have in your league, and he's probably going to go five to seven most games. This year in particular, with pitching being so scarce, I think that this la- this next bad period might be the last time you have to pick him up before he pitches, demonstrates that he's still Q, and it costs you half of whatever's left of your fab. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's another one of those guys that has always been kind of sneaky good, never been an elite top guy, so often gets overlooked or, or undervalued. But even last year, through 20 starts, had a 3.5 ERA, one two seven whip, 20% K rate. Two years before that, 28, 29% K rate. Obviously, he had a 6.43 ERA that one, that one year. But, yeah, I definitely have some intrigue, and I think he's going to get some some run here in the rotation because, you know, obviously, you know, they have Verlander, Scherzer, Senga's locked in, but Carrasco, he's looked a little bit better recently, but he's not been good this year. David Peterson's been atrocious. Tyler McGill has been atrocious. Those are two guys I completely whiffed on. Had a lot of Peterson and McGill shares. That did not work out. So, yeah, I'm definitely intrigued. If Quintana can get in that rotation uh, over, over the second half of the season, I'm, I'm absolutely intrigued because he's, again, a guy that's just been you know a, a low-end value for a long time now. And, yeah, I'm definitely intrigued by that. I have some David Peterson shares too, and I cannot for the life of me figure out what's going on there. Like the KBB ratio looks fine. It's just the ERA is atrocious. He's might be the most unlucky pitcher that I've seen this year, and yeah. he's not getting it done. Nope. Uh, head to the other side of New York. Carlos Rodon is expected to start this week against the Cubs because, of course, he is. The Cubs have never won a game in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> so, like, kind of hoping they can break that here. Uh, he has been picked up in probably every league. But do you think Rodon gives this Yankees rotation a boost? I, I definitely think he does. And he was looking really good in his rehab outings, which, you know, he should. He's a, you know, Cy Young caliber guy pitching as minor leaguer. So you expect him to dominate there. But yeah, this is a guy that even I was buying into this year because obviously, you know, we thought he was a start of the year, missed like the first, you know, three, four weeks of the season. So the ADP dropped from like the 40s or whatever it was down to like post 100. And that's when I was like, all right, I'll take that if I can, you know, weather the storm for a few weeks. And obviously, a few weeks turned into a few months and got a couple setbacks along the way. But yeah, assuming he's fully healthy, and you kind of have to assume he is at this point, it looks like he is. I mean, this is a guy back-to-back years with a key rate above 33%, ERA below three, and ex-ERA below three as well. So, you know, arguably, you look at the last two years combined, a top-five pitcher. So, yeah, the Yankees definitely need that because they've had their own injuries and, and poor performances. You know, Nestor Cortez taking a step back. Severino's look, not looked that great. So, uh, outside of Garrett Cole, it's been – kind of a up and down season for that rotation. So I'm sure they're excited to get Rodon back. And, you know, I have a couple of shares of him as well. So I'm very excited. I think he could be, you know, maybe the innings aren't quite there. So maybe the wins aren't quite there either. It's hard to, hard to tell, but I don't think there's any reason why he can't be like a top 25 or so pitcher down the stretch. Yeah. And I also think that if you're in a league that allows trades, you've been sitting on Rodon. He's just been on your IL this whole time. If you can get four or five really good starts here, you can probably trade him with someone for some hitting or for a different pitcher or something like that. Because like you said, that upside is so huge. I think you can get some real value there. So I don't have any shares of Rodon this year. Uh, Not because I don't, didn't want them. I just didn't get him anywhere. But if I did, I would certainly be looking at him and keeping an eye on these starts to see if that's somebody I could maybe sell high on. Um, for the Pirates, Juwan Bay to the 10-day IL, but Brian Reynolds is activated, and I need I need Reynolds to keep doing what he's been doing. Same. Absolutely. Yeah, he's, he's another one of those guys that it just quietly goes about his business. He's not flashy. Probably one of the more boring top 100 guys you'll ever see, but hey, he gives you a good average. He gives you good power. even throws in a steal here and there, and 
he just gets forgotten because he's in Pittsburgh, and that's that happens even in the minor leagues. Like that entire team just gets forgotten outside of O'Neill Cruz. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to have him back too because I have a couple shares of him as well. Yeah, he's helping me out in a few leagues where I really need him. Uh, the San Diego Padres have DFA'd Nelson Cruz. I didn't really see that one coming because Cruz is such a big clubhouse guy. Like I couldn't, I, I'm like, he's just there to be like the guy who keeps your clubhouse together. But I guess whatever's going on with the clubhouse in San Diego is bad enough that they decided that even Nelson Cruz can't fix it. <laughs> I think he gets picked up by someone who could use that sort of like mentor stability type of figure. And I've heard rumors of the Yankees. I've heard, People who follow the Cubs think about, hey, Nelson Cruz and that lineup could could look really good. Do you think Cruz gets picked up somewhere? Are you holding him while we wait to see? I absolutely think he gets picked up. And the Yankees are the first team I thought of. I mean, I could see like, you know, one of these young kind of up and coming teams, like the Reds, the D-backs, maybe even the Marlins give him, you know, a shot to, like, hey, like we're, we're in it. Maybe we need this veteran guy. And I, I still think Cruz has a little bit left in the tank. Like, obviously, he hasn't looked good the last couple of years, but. You know, if he gets some regular playing time wherever he does wind up, you know, I won't be surprised to see him go on like a nice little you know power binge over you know the last six weeks of the season, in August, September, or something like that. But yeah, the the Yankees are a great fit. Like they need a guy like Nelson Cruz. Obviously, they had some injuries with with you know the the lineup as well. You know, maybe he goes to the Rays. You know, Baltimore could be a good fit too. There's a lot of teams that could use a Nelson Cruz. So yeah, I, I would be surprised if you know a week from now he's still sitting out there. You know, not on the team. I mean, you mentioned the Reds. I actually, I love what Joey Botto has done since his return with the Reds with his like backwards cap shirt untucked thing the other day where he's like, yep. this is how me and Ellie do it. We're the young and hip kids. <laughs> I about died. It's one of the greatest things that Joey Votto has ever done. <laughs> I haven't it, seen it. I've definitely got this on my Twitter. <laughs> I, I try not to judge people, but if, if someone said they don't like Joey Votto, I would have to look twice about that at that person like how could you not love even if you're even if you're a rival fan of the reds like how could you not love a guy like joey Votto? he could go to the yankees and obviously i hate the yankees but i would still love joey Votto. like that guy is just a lovable guy everything he does is just so likable like his personality obviously you know a very good player too over over a long time so yeah i love joey Votto. His Instagram like tagline is future school bus driver. That's how amazing <laughs> Joey Votto is. Like I just love everything about that dude. That's our Reds news for the week, by the way. Just Joey Votto is awesome. Uh, heading to the San Francisco Giants for a second. Tyro Estrada, who has been one of the most valuable players in fantasy this season, is headed to the IL. That is a bummer if you own Tyro Estrada. It is an interesting playing opportunity for Casey Schmidt, who came up red hot and then cooled off like, whoa. Do you think there's anything for Casey Schmidt here? I don't know. I mean, he was a guy that I undervalued as a prospect and, and missed out on. Like, I didn't have really any shares of him when he came up. But he's just been so aggressive. Not striking out a whole ton, you know, only 24%, but 3.2% walk rate. I don't think he has his first walk for like a month or something like that. Only hitting 235. And this is a guy that never had big power. So he, he needs to have, you know hit for an aver high average. He has not done so. Contact rate, you know, contact rates aren't bad. Zone contact's right around league average. Whip is a bit high, but the chase rate is super high. That goes to his aggressive nature, 46.5% chase rate, and that's about 18% above league average. That's to kind of put that in perspective. So, I mean, deep league, maybe, and just because the playing time is going to be there moving forward. But in general, unless I was really needing, you know, a, a shortstop or a third baseman if he's eligible there in your league, I'm not really looking that way. And, and let's just finish this up. We've got three pitchers here who are headed to the IL, and I'm curious if there's anyone in any of these 
uh, deep pitcher list that you are interested in who could come up. The Mariners are losing Bryce Miller for a brief amount of time to the injured list. The Cardinals have placed Adam Wainwright on the injured list. He's really struggled this season. And Shane McClanahan is going to the injured list for the Tampa Bay Rays. Is there anyone in any of these systems that you're like, yes, get that guy right now? Because I'm not lying. Like, I kind of look at this and I'm like, eh, I don't really see anybody that I should get right now. I don't either. I mean, Malone, no, I don't really have any. I've never been a Malone guy. I mean, maybe Seattle brings up uh, Emerson Hancock. I, I might have a little bit of intrigue if that does happen, but there's no guarantee that that will happen. So, yeah, I, I don't even know who takes over that spot in Tampa Bay. Like, you, you've seen the, like, the IL rotation for Tampa Bay. It's like a star of the rotation. Like, Shane Boz, McClanahan, you know, uh, Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs. Jeffrey Springs. It's like an all-star rotation they have on the IL right now, and they still have a pretty good rotation without them. So, but, yeah, I, I don't know who, who they're turning to. I mean, they just brought, like, you know, Yanni Torinos in the rotation, which shows you how, you know, what state they're in. So, I can't imagine it's anybody uh, of intrigue. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really see. I, I was trying to find some like hidden gems or something, and I really just don't see it. I don't see it either. And I I mean, I spent a lot of time looking at the Cardinals in the race list just to see. But I figured you might know. You are the prospect dude, so you might know a little bit more there than I am. And, in fact, we are here to talk about prospects at the midpoint of the season. So I want to dive into this from a process perspective at first, and then look at it a little bit more from how it can impact the way people are making decisions from their league. But I'm curious when you're ranking prospects, like I have a hard time ranking second basemen who are playing every day uh, because there, there are so many of them and they're so diverse. You get to like number 12 and it's like the difference between number 11 and number 14 is just not all that much. And how are you making those calls? You're ranking a universe of minor leaguers and rookie ball guys and complex league guys. Tell me a little bit about your process for that. It's it's always evolving. It's always changing because even you know even those of us that have been doing it for a while, like me, Chris Clay, James Anderson, Chris Welsh, etc., Michael Halpern, you know Scott White. It's it's always like we you always just stay on top of it. It's always changing, and my process is always trying. trying I'm trying to always trying to evolve and get better. You know, one thing, you know, a few things I have put more stock in is proximity you know i I used to be a super into like the buzzy like low level guys like oh like what if this guy you know if he hits even 90 percent of his of his ceiling this could be like an absolute stud but you know maybe we got this you know more boring you know bat you know hit high hit tool you know good power type that doesn't have a lot of speed but he's closer to the major leagues like those guys i used to undervalue but those those guys that are kind of the higher floor guys so to speak that have a better chance of you. Know, maybe their ceiling isn't quite the same as one of these like buzzy low level prospects. I mean, there's a much higher chance that they're going to a be a major league hitter, you know, be a productive major league hitter and b like, they're going to be up much sooner. So, you know, I've kind of put more stock in, in safety. It's, it's still a balance. You still got to you know play the upside card and you got to, I kind of try to blend the, you know, the upside versus the floor and, you know, proximity as well. But yeah, Factoring in just those guys that are better bets to provide production, those are guys I've kind of been putting more stock into in my, in my rankings. But yeah, it's it's always evolving, like like I mentioned, because the prospect world is always evolving. It's you know prospects are developing quicker these days than they used to, and you're seeing like you know guys like Jackson Churio who got to Double A as a young 18 year old. Like that was something we never really used to see. 18 year olds are in rookie ball or or low A, but he. We see these 18, 19-year-olds get the double-A. We're seeing 20-year-olds get to the major leagues now. 
um, we have for the last you know handful of years. So uh, you kind of got to be on top of it because these guys are skyrocketing up rankings a lot quicker than they used to. So yeah, it's something you definitely got to stay on top of. You know, it's interesting that you bring up proximity there. And I think that's a really important note for people to think about as they get obsessed with new prospects. I play mostly redraft leagues, but I am in an auto new league. I do have a keeper league and a, and a dynasty team. And I it shifts so radically the way that I look at the player pool and what I'm valuing. And it also changes my midseason strategy. Like if you're in a redraft league and you're super out of it at this point in time. I mean, you can try to make some trades. You can stay active on the waiver wire. You can grind and try to like get yourself out of the basement. Yes, I am in the basement in one, two of my leagues at the moment that I am trying to grind my way out of. And I'm not happy about it, but it is what it is. <laughs> However, when that league ends, like if it ends and I'm in 12th or I'm in 13th or whatever, there's not much I can do about it. I can, if I'm in a dynasty league, if I'm in an auto new league, I can try to turn that into a win three years from now. Like I can try to take, some of the talent on that roster and flip it for somebody else. Um, you know, I think about Brennan Davis, for example, as a guy that people thought were a few months away two years ago and then a handful of injuries and whatnot. And he's just fallen and fallen and fallen down those prospect lists. Uh, I'm going to keep relying on Cubs here because that's sort of where I live. But Miguel Amaya was the catcher of the future three years ago, and he didn't arrive in Chicago until now. But what he's doing in Chicago is really impressive. And he looks like he could be, a guy who is a starting catcher for a pretty good team in a couple of years. If you were in on Miguel Amaya, you held on all that time. You got a really nice player this year who's doing some things this year, but will do a pretty much a lot more next year. How do you go about making those decisions to figure out where you're putting those players in your rankings and where you're evaluating them as things change so radically? Yeah, that's that's the beauty about, you know, keeper and dynasty leagues is that, yeah, it, at this point, and that's something I've been writing in a few different articles here and there over the last month or so, the month of June, you know, in, into July, at this point, you probably have a pretty good idea of where you stand, you know, whether it's all right, I'm, I'm contending for the championship or I'm contending for, you know, maybe if you have, you know, top three, top five, whatever that payout money, I'm still in, in the mix for that or all right, I got to shift my focus and go look towards next year. That, and that's the beauty of it. The, the, you know, redraft league. All right. You know, you finish the season you wipe your hands clean, start anew the following, you know, January, February, March, whatever it may be, but dynasty and keeper leagues, you got to start shifting that focus because especially, you know, obviously dynasty leagues uh, have trading and keeper leagues as well. So you got to figure out, all right, which players are my core? Like the one I cut, it's not black and white, but kind of the, the benchmark I use. I'm like, all right, is this guy going to still be like a guy I can build around and be an impact player for me three years down the road? All right. If that's the case, then yes, I'll probably hold on to him unless I get a you know, great deal that I can't refuse. But if it's all right, I get an older guy, you know, like, like if I had like a Max Scherzer or, or something like that, a guy like, all right, you know, maybe he's, you know, he'll be good next year, but probably not, you know, a guy that's still one of my top guys near two, three, four down the road. Those are the guys I might look to start trading, you know, you know, start talking to the contending teams, seeing if they got some prospects or some younger players that you can get. Um, and if you wait too long, then, you know, the other teams that are, you know, early bird gets the worm, so to speak here. So the other teams will start making these trades before you, and then nobody has anything left to give you. So uh, you, you don't never want to sell off too early, but I think now is a good time to, all right, if you're like in ninth, 10th place and you're like, all right, I'm not going to get up to the you know, top three or whatever your, your goal was going into the season. I think it's probably time to start shifting that focus and, and seeing which of those guys are going to be your core guys in a few years and which you could probably, you know, 
trade off now for younger pieces. One question that's not on the rundown, so I apologize, but I was thinking about it while I was looking at some of your articles earlier today, and I was thinking about it as you were talking right there. Do you find that some teams like kind of hit a moment, and I mean real MLB teams, not fantasy teams at the moment, do some franchises hit a moment where they're just more likely to call up a bunch of dudes and you need to be ready to ride that wave when they do it? I'm thinking about your most recent piece highlights both Colton Kowser and Jordan Westberg. I mean, I won Jordan Westberg and and Glarf last week. I was like, I finally won a fat bit in Glarf, which doesn't happen very often for me because that league is a bunch of people who are much bigger spenders of their fab than I am, which is part of why I'm struggling in Glarf this year. Um, But, you know, it was interesting to look at your research and see that Kowser is like already eclipsed the like big free agent that I had on Sunday and was super thrilled about it. It's been three days. Do you find that there are some teams that sort of move in that direction of like, yes, we're in, we're calling up whoever we need to no matter what? Or are there some that have organizational philosophies? I think about the Atlanta Braves, for example. One of the reasons that the A.J. Smith-Shaver promotion was something you could kind of predict and see coming is that the Braves have been willing to jump guys multiple levels before. And so even though he started in high A, it was like as he started moving through the system and hadn't given up an earned run, and you could see that the Braves had some starting pitching needs, A.J. Smith-Shaver's clock became escalated in a way that probably no other team in baseball would have done. And I wonder if there are organizational philosophies you keep in mind there. Yeah, there, there definitely is. And that's something I've been trying to keep in mind, you know, more and more over the years as I kind of like learn these organization, organizational philosophies. That's hard, hard uh, two words to say in a row, but it, a lot of these teams have more of an incentive now to bring up these guys than they did, they did in the past. And you're seeing a lot of these teams that have kind of surprised this year, like, you know, Baltimore and in Arizona, you know, maybe originally they weren't you know, anticipating having, both Colton Kowser and Jordan Westbrook up, you know, by the all-star break, but Hey, they're in second place in the division. They're definitely you know, in the, the postseason mix here. So, you know, these guys have been obviously hitting very well in the upper minors. So yeah, there's like, all right, let's bring up these guys. Cause they're going to help us right now. And we have an incentive to do so. There's not all these as many restrictions and as, as there used to be like, all right, you, you gain an extra year of control. You know, some of that stuff is still there obviously, but there's, it's a lot more chillax now than, than it used to be. Uh, even just last year, which is great to see because we've seen this huge influx of young talent, even more so than usual, You know, especially on, on the pitching side. There's been so many good pitchers came up this year. Obviously, we've gotten De La Cruz and Kowser and Westberg and, and Matt McClain and everyone else has come up, and we still got a lot more to go. So, uh, yeah, I think a lot of teams are kind of being more aggressive than they used to. We're seeing a lot more you know, double-A to the major promotions than, than we used to see uh, you know, over the last few years as well. So, yeah, I think it's definitely turning into a, a more aggressive market, especially for these teams, these young teams like Baltimore and Cincinnati that are contending now. And, hey, let's bring up our guys and, and see what happens. You know, you mentioned the more call-ups coming early, and that's probably a function of the CBA. I don't think that they're, every team is in on this yet. For example, like I see, still see the Cubs, the Yankees, some other teams like kind of slow rolling some of these guys. Thank you, Chicago Cubs, for leaving Christopher Morell in Iowa for hashtag reasons while he was raking. I'm sure that helped out your ability to win a winnable division a lot. Not bitter or anything. But that churn has created a really interesting uh, set of incentives for fantasy managers and You know, the third or fourth episode of this show, I had Jenny Butler on and we were talking about pretty conservative strategies for fab, you know, budgeting it out period by period, how you need to readjust if you spend big early to like make sure you have money late and all of those types of things. If I were to go back and record that episode again, after what has happened this season with all of Mm -hmm. the pitching prospects called up and all of the prospects called up, 
I think that I would advocate for spending like 70 to 75% of your fab in the first half and keeping a budget of that remaining 30 to 20% for the second half solely because you get so much more production from some of those dudes who are called up and you do not want to miss out on a Matt McLean who you could have had in May so that you can get a Colton Kowser in August. Not that he's coming up in August, he's coming up in June, but you like, you don't want to make that trade off. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've, I've kind of thought that way too, is I've been more conservative myself, even you know, being a guy that, that writes about prospects and dynasty a lot, because you know, I've seen the, you know, the ups and downs and, how these guys can like come out kind of out of the gate really hot and then fall off like a lot of these the Dodger arms like Sheehan and Miller so on and so forth. So I, I didn't really see the the point in spending you know 10, 15, 20 plus percent of my fab on one guy where the potential for him to you know break even or even return a positive ROI was you know pretty low you know probability. But you know, at the at the same time you know if you don't and I'm not saying you know, I don't think either one of us are advocating for just go out and blow all your money in the first half. But yeah, if you kind of wait too long, you're going to put yourself in a little bit of a hole where these other teams that you're trying to contend with and trying to beat out in your in your league have already spent and already gotten some of these guys and hit on a, a McLean or or a Yuri Perez or whoever it may be. And now you're trying to make, you know scramble and you know hopefully hopefully you get Cowser or or hopefully you get like an Encarnacion Strand when he comes up or a Ronnie Mauricio or or Rodriguez when he comes back up, but that's what you're banking on. And at that point you really need them to hit uh, and return a positive ROI to make it worthwhile for you to wait and hold all your fab. So yeah, I've, I've kind of uh, adopted that same mindset that you were just talking about. So interesting that you bring up the ROI part of that. I have Ariel Cohen coming on the show, I think next week, maybe two weeks from now. And it's one of the things I want to ask Ariel about, cause he had a really interesting episode of beat the shift where they, uh, him and Ruben talked to, Joe Sheehan about the like processes we use for fab and like why we haven't come up with a really good way to benchmark this. Like it's kind of a YOLO situation where it's like <laughs> takes one person in your league who's willing to drop 450 of their fab dollars to like blow the whole system out of the water. And you're like, that guy was supposed to go for 150 fab. And all of a sudden, nope, not, not the case. And so I'm really interested to talk to Ariel about his thoughts about uh, investment and like how we can maybe try to calculate or benchmark some of this stuff. But I really feel like this season in particular, has thrown a wrench into the works of how I think about fab. And I admit the leagues where I'm struggling the most are the leagues where I have not been able to win fab bids early and I had to yeah. finally crank it. And in some cases I was able to crank it and get some good players. Like I think Jordan Westberg is going to be a really good player for me. I got Yuri Perez in an auction league where I had been really struggling to pick up pitching, but I wish I had known that in April because finding that out in May and June is probably going to be the difference between finishing in the top five in those leagues. Yeah, absolutely. And and watch, like we'll, we'll adopt the strategy next year and things will just completely change and do a complete 180. So that's the, the beauty of it. When we finally think we have it figured out, something changes and we got to re readjust our strategies. That's part of this, this beautiful game that we love to play. Yeah, speaking of waiver wire ads, let's just jump into some of our waiver wire uh, pickups recently that we are super stoked about. Um, for myself, I, I, I mentioned a couple. I, I Jordan Westberg is probably the biggest prospect I've been able to pick up in Glarf this season. I'm really excited about, about it. But a couple of guys that I was able to add recently, and I think it's worth keeping an eye on drops in your leagues. Like I was able to pick up Jake Fraley and CJ Crone recently. And those are situations where somebody decided they were going to go out and get like the studly prospect. And in order to do it, they had to drop a guy who's totally 
a legit fantasy player. And if you can keep an eye on those drops, you can do some damage for a lot less than 20% of your fat. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I get asked any time a, a, a notable prospect like, a, you know, a Kowser, you know, a, a Westberg, a McLean, whoever come up. I always get those those questions, you know, plenty of them like, oh, should I drop this guy? Should I drop this guy? Should I drop this guy? And a lot of times I'm sitting there, I'm like, why, why, why do you want to drop that guy? That guy's doing pretty, pretty good right now. And yeah, he may not be the flashy new toy, but yeah. So that is a great strategy because sometimes people are always looking for that next big thing and they overlook the players that have already been producing for them. And, and like Jake Fraley, he's been really good this year. Like he was a guy that I got down in the, the DC we did in first with Arizona. And I had Paul Sporer incredibly mad at me because he, he, I sniped Jake Fraley. Like this is a pretty good player for a pretty good team right now. So uh, yeah, I, I absolutely uh, condone that strategy or uh, yeah, condone that strategy because you can get some pretty good players that people, you know, pass over because they want the next new shiny thing. Absolutely. Who are some of your favorite waiver wire pickups? One of them is another one of mine that almost made this list, but I decided it was a little bit longer ago and I'd focus on freely. I have Matt McLean in Tout Wars and thank you, Matt McLean, for keeping me competitive in Tout Wars. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. You know, again, I I almost didn't put him either just because he was a little bit, you know, maybe not super recently, but Matt McLean definitely saved me and helped me kind of right the ship in several leagues, especially where I was really kind of either I had some I had a lot of Von Grissom shares this year. That's a massive miss for me. So there's several leagues where I'm kind of like either at second base or shortstop been playing catch up. So he's been an absolute godsend. I think I, I tweeted out that he was one of, I think it was like six or seven players in the month of June that had, uh, like I think it was a 290 plus average, you know, three or more home runs and steals and like 18 and more or more runs in RBI. Just, you know, like production across the board. And the number, the, the metrics back it up too. I think he's like a 2020 guy. So he's been an absolute godsend for my teams. And Nolan Jones, like quietly, I mean, he was kind of matching in the minor leagues too. And yeah, he obviously he's kind of cooled off a little bit, but he was at this, you know, Babe Ruthian pace here so, uh, earlier in the year. But he's a guy that has five home runs, five steals, hitting 301, OBP pushing 400. Strikeout rate is a bit high. And that's always kind of been the, the, red flag in his profile and not even because he swings and misses too much, but just because he, he's overly patient at times, gets too many two strike counts and the key rate gets a little higher than it should. But the quality of content metrics are very good right now across the board. And as long as he can keep that key rate in check, you know, I think he's have some, some good value here rest of the season. And then lastly, like guy that's kind of been pretty sneaky is Michael Garcia for the Kansas city Royals. I mean, the Royals are terrible this year and they lost Vinny Pasquantino. So, you know, only one of their good hitters, one of their only good hitters. But Garcia has been quietly it's really good just being called up, hitting 297, three home runs, 13 steals. Quality of contact is very good, 50.3% hard hit rate. Doesn't strike out a lot. I mean, he's got a little bit of uh, a little bit of power. He's got to hit you like 10, 12 home runs over a full season, give you some speed as well. So he's, and he's, I think he's eligible at, at least two positions, maybe even three, depending on your league as well. So another one of those guys that – if you got, you know, injury or a guy that just hasn't been working out for you, you can plug him in and he'll give you some good production across the board. So he's another guy that really helped me kind of fill, kind of plug those holes in my infield. 
everyday players who are hitting early in the lineup on last place teams can absolutely save yep. your team. And they never they sit there on the waiver wire forever. It's like, why do I need Jamar Candelario? And it's like, I don't know. Jamar Candelario is playing every single day. And yes, he's probably going to get you a million runs or RBIs, but the numbers look pretty good and he's making good contact and he's going to add to those counting stats just enough that it might push you over the top. And so I feel like sometimes we, I don't want to say we we that like valuing team context is good. We should value it, but you shouldn't overvalue team context. Uh, the flip side of this waiver wire misses re- recently, and I'll just start with mine. I named both of these dudes earlier when we were talking about Atlanta. I took a chance on Soroka. I took a chance on AJ Smith Shaver. Neither of them cost me very much. I think that I spent like $42 on Smith Shaver. I definitely got Michael Soroka in one league for $2, but <laughs> I, you know, Neither of those dudes really hit. If Soroka manages to get that spot and like take advantage of it, that would be great. They didn't kill me, but they definitely didn't fix my pitching situation in any of the leagues where I picked them up. Yeah, no, I, I was in on AJ Smith as well. Like he was another one of those guys that you kind of had, you know, maybe a little bit of fo- FOMO because of what happened with Spencer Strider last year. And, you know, those comps are very unfair. And I, I hate comps in general because of it. But yeah, he. Did not he looked good at, at first, but then kind of similar to many other big name pitching prospects this year. Uh, they had a good first few starts and they kind of fell off. So yeah, I definitely uh, ha- I'm right there with you with, with AJ Mishaver for sure. Can I stop you on the Strider thing for one second? Because I actually feel like yes, the comps were unfair, but also Mishaver did not get the same chance Strider did. Strider came yep. up, pitched out of the bullpen for half a season, and then moved to the rotation. And there was this period where it was like, is he going to be a relief pitcher? Is he going to be a starting pitcher? Could he really do this as a starting pitcher? Smith Shaver came up and he got like one appearance in the bullpen and then was immediately starting. <laughs> and so I yeah. actually think if I have Smith Shaver in a keeper league, an auto new league, a dynasty form, I'm holding and waiting because that dude could still be a total stud, but we probably need six to nine months more yeah. data on him. Absolutely. No, I 100% agree. I am still as high now on Smith Shaver as I was before he came up. Like the stuff is very, very good. Even if the comps are unfair, there's a reason why those comps are made to begin with. Like the stuff is, is very, very good. Like this is a potential, you know, top 25 or so fantasy arm. And yeah. And it, it is weird that he was kind of dealt with differently and especially you know, even kind of putting him into rotation quickly, but then t- taking him out so quickly it would have made more sense if like, Oh, Freed's coming back. Wright's coming back. We, you know, we gotta, you gotta make room for those guys, obviously, but they're not back. They're still on the IL. So, you know, it, it was surprising that they didn't give them at least a few more starts to try to like, we're, I'm a big, you know, big fan of letting them work through their struggles because how are they going to, you know, adapt? How are they going to get better in areas that need to, if they're not doing it and facing, you know, facing hitters at the major league level. So I'm surprised they didn't give him a longer leash, but yeah, 100% with you. You know, if you have him in a keeper dynasty format, 100% hold because I'm still incredibly high on him long term. Uh, let's talk about a couple of your misses. And you've got one of my favorite players here, Christopher Morrell. So maybe let's just start with that. Yeah. So I, I had two misses. I put two misses on here kind of for different reasons. Morrell is a miss because I didn't go after him when I should have. Again, it kind of goes back to what I was t- talking about with Joe Adele. Morrell kind of fell in that same camp. Like, all right. 
I'm probably going to miss out on you if you do it, but I need to see you do it before I invest because you know, he was with how he was in AAA. And obviously, you know, he was, you know, absolutely mashing. And that's an understatement for what he was doing in, in AAA. And that's carried out. He's 15 home runs already in 178 plate appearances. And as you mentioned, he's made some of those adjustments. He's cut the K rate lately, he's cut the whiff rate as well. He'll probably still always be a pretty streaky player just in general, but. You know, I think the the peaks, you know, can definitely get you through while the the, the valleys are are there. So, and not going after him was a was a miss. And then my other big one recently was Johnny DeLuca. I I went in on him pretty hard in a lot of leagues because the guy was just so good in the minor leagues for such a long time. Always got a little undervalued because he was quote unquote old for every level he was at. You know, he's he's twenty. Is he twenty five yet? Almost, he'll be 25 in actually a few days here. So, you know, a little bit older than what we're used to seeing for these top prospects coming up. But a guy that has always had a good power speed blend, hit for a, a decent average, you know, decent walk rate, lower K rate. So I thought he'd be a, this a sneaky good ad. And I went pretty high on him in a lot of fab leagues, but not, you know, taking into account that like, it's the Dodgers. They have so many good guys that they can plug in. And I think he's gotten like 30 plate appearances in this month up with the Dodgers. Like he had his first home run the other night, but he's like, he, I think he's gotten three or four starts. He's pinch hitting here and there. I just wish they'd either start him, trade him, put him back in triple A so he can get regular playing time there. But yeah, he's a guy that I didn't factor in team context enough in, in that instance. And it really bit me. And he, he's a guy that I've basically dropped in every league that I added them in. You know, it's interesting that you bring up team context there with the Dodgers and playing time because I, I had Christopher Morell in a bunch of places last year where I just needed somebody to play second. I think he came up when Nico Horner was hurt originally and I had a bunch of Nico, so I needed somebody who could fill that spot. And it's like, yeah, let's see what happens. I wound up getting to ride like that May on base streak percentage that he had and the power is real. I didn't trust the Cubs to play him. Like I watched them sit Christopher Morell for Zach McKinstry and Miles Mastroboni and like a bunch of dudes. And I'm like, how can you not tell the difference between what Christopher Morrell does and what Zach McKinstry does? And no shade to Zach McKinstry. He's having a nice-ish season for the Tigers, but they are not the same, right? And I right. regret that a lot this season because looking at what Christopher Morrell is doing right now, and again, the jury is still out, but if that K rate hovers around 27 instead of 35, the walk rate is already like up in the 9.6 range. That's a really nice player with just absolutely bananas power. I think that they said on the Cubs broadcast the other day that of his 15 home runs, I think it was 14 at the time, 11 had gone more than 400 feet. I believe it. <laughs> that, that sounds <laughs> about right. Nuts. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm with you. I have some FOMO on Christopher Morrell this season too, because I didn't trust Jed Hoyer and well, thanks Jed. Uh, Eric, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas and thoughts about prospects, how you go about your process and your wisdom from the season so far. I'm going to close out the show on the same question. We close out every show. What's your best piece of advice for a new ish fantasy player, or maybe someone who's looking to change league levels, right? Like they've been winning their home league for a couple of seasons and now they want to make the jump to the NFBC or they're, they want to try out a tougher situation. What type of advice would you give a new ish fantasy player? Yeah, I, I think the, the best piece of advice i always give to every player looking to you know start playing is you know, keep it simple to start like you know, if you're just getting into playing fantasy baseball don't join a 20 team dynasty league right off the bat you know start off in, in, in a you know home league or just like a you know there's a lot of, of free leagues you can play out there whether it's nfbc fan tracks yahoo cbs you know kind of take it gradually because you know no slight to anybody that plays fantasy football but you know as someone that has played both 
since you know basically middle school. You know, there's a lot more that goes into fantasy baseball, and you really get you'll be on top of your research. And you know, it's not just oh, set your lineup on Monday and forget about it. You know, yeah, there's some weekly lineups, of course, but there's a lot more that goes into kind of succeeding and uh, in fantasy baseball. So yeah, I always say you know keep it simple at first. Then you know if you want to start you know taking it up a notch, and you know if you do well in, in what you're starting out in, you want to kind of go up and up and up. Uh, kind of take it gradually, but yeah, just do your research. That's, you know, it, it might seem simple. It might sound dumb, you know, know your league settings, you know, know the players, you know, do some research that, that can go, go a long way. I don't think it sounds dumb at all. I think that this is great advice. I mean, it's easy to think, oh, I like, I like this fantasy game. I'm playing fantasy football. I'll try fantasy baseball. And you just think you're going to make the leap. Fantasy football is like 18 weeks of weekly moves and, a much smaller number of variables that you are trying to control for. I mean, most of the leagues that you start with in football, you're drafting a defense. Like unless you're in an IDP league, you're not drafting individual defensive players. So like half of the field has basically been removed from fantasy football by design. In baseball, you jump into a dynasty situation. You're looking at the entire universe (laughs) from rookie ball all the way to the majors and that's a ton of players. And if you're in a situation where there are daily moves, or if you're in a situation where you had to figure out when the waiver wire runs or what your budget is, if there are $0 bids, there's a million variables and questions that you have to answer. I think we were talking before the show, or maybe I said it earlier in the show. I'm in my first auto new league this year. And that's a whole new realm of variables that I had never really thought about before. I don't play in a ton of auctions. You have to do an auction to start the auto new situation, every player gets auctioned throughout the course of the season in ways that are very different than what I'm used to. Like, how do you value Casey Schmidt when he comes up on the auction block? I am not really sure. Like, it's one of those things where I'm kind of learning it as I go. And I find your prospect rankings and other prospect rankings really helpful for informing my decisions as I dive into this, because I I think I'm pretty good at the major league level. Like I know the 30 teams and their players and their rosters and what's going on reasonably well, but I will be the first to admit that I can't tell you who the best double A shortstop in the Orioles system is right now. And I really rely on people like you to help me out there. So thank you so much for joining me today, Eric. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they find your work? Thanks for having me, Sarah. This is, this was a lot of fun. A lot of, a uh, lot of great pl- young players to talk about. So I think, you know, there's a bl- absolute blast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Eric cross zero four. As you mentioned earlier, my written work, Roto baller, FTM Fantasy also have my Patreon as well, which link is in my bio for that. And of course, over on the Toolshed podcast with Chris Clegg. So always, uh, always staying busy. <laughs> always staying busy, always providing great research and information for those of us trying to win our leagues. You can find me at at BCB underscore Sarah. You can follow the show at at what the fab. If you have had problems subscribing to the show, it's because you have to search for fans first sports network fantasy not what the fab. So if you search for what the fab, you're not going to find the show. But if you search for fans first sports network fantasy, you will subscribe. So you never miss an episode and we'll be back next week. 